this pretty quick, but uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Man, it feels good to be home. Just to walk into the prayer room and kneel down tonight and I, I just had to be quiet for a second and listen to the people pray. Just, I don't want to get too much into it. I'll start crying and then we won't get anywhere. But Luke 17, it says it like this. Then said he unto the disciples, 17 and verse 1. It is impossible. Or it is impossible. Somebody say impossible. Impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. The New American Standard Version says it like this, and he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Then the New International Version says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. And then one more version is the Amplified Version of which I will read. And it says, and Jesus said to his disciples, temptations, that is snares, traps, set to entice to sin, are sure to come. But woe to him by or through whom they come. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start out with the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. It's one that's been used over and over again. In fact, when you search Joseph online, you will find thousands upon thousands of sermons, articles, short stories, ideals, all pertaining to the story and the life of Joseph. Today, if I may, I want to bring about a different twist, but you've probably also heard this as well. But The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 that, I might take this out of context just a little bit, but it talks about the thing that hath been. It is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing, no new thing under the sun. But the story starts out in Genesis chapter 37. These being the generations of Jacob. It starts out talking about the generations. Verse 2 it describes generation is an important word in the scriptures. It speaks of lineage. It speaks of family. It speaks of the birthing process. And this scripture immediately starts speaking thereafter about Joseph. It didn't talk about the other 11 brothers, but it immediately stopped and started talking about Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. He, he, despised, he was despised by his older brothers due to his father favoring him more even to the point of setting him apart with a coat of many colors. And, and God gave Joseph, uh, he gave him two dreams. And most of this stuff that I'm telling you tonight, again, it's nothing new, but bear with me for just a few moments while I lay a foundation. But in the, in the first dream, he saw bound sheaves in a field. His sheaf rose and stood upright while his brother's sheaves actually bowed down to it. And then the second dream, he saw the sun and the moon and the, 11 stars, representing his family, his mother, his brothers, all bowing down to him. The Bible instructs us that when he told these dreams to his brothers, that, that, that they did not 
share in his enthusiasm at all. They were not excited about it. They were not anticipating what was to come, but yet they just kind of despised him and hated him even the more. Shortly afterwards, his, his, his ten older brothers went to feed their father's flock in the field, and Jacob sent Joseph to see how they were doing. Go and check them out. Go find out what's going on. And when the older brothers saw Joseph coming, you know the story, they conspired against him saying, here comes the dreamer. In verse 20 of chapter 37, it states it this way, Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into the pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and he shall see, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But there was one brother that was able to stop the killing process and diverted the attention to where it might benefit them the more. So yes, they threw him into a pit to die, but they took his coat away from him. They tore it. They stained it with animal's blood to convince their father that he had been devoured by a wild beast. And then after they threw him to the pit, however, there was a company of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. Then Judah said, Hey, wait a minute, guys, if, 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 if we let him rot in that pit, he, he will not profit us at all, my own words tonight. But let's do something that, again, benefits us. And so what they done is they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Joseph had offended them. Somebody say offended. Joseph had offended them. And so they, they turned around and betrayed him, taking away his inheritance, taking away his family. But keep in, not in mind, these are, these are brothers who did this, the, the same father, or the same flesh, and the same blood. Now, as Americans, our culture is so different that it's hard for us to understand the, 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 the severity of, of what these men did. See, only killing him would have, would have been worse. In biblical times, it was was very important to have sons. A man's sons carried his name, it carried his inheritance. All that he had, it, it carried on to him. Joseph's brothers kept him from ever receiving his father's name. It kept him from ever receiving the inheritance. In fact, when you look at it, they tried their best to blot his name out completely, stripping him of his identity. Everything of what he was, he no longer is that individual. When a person was sold as a slave to another country, he, he remained a slave until he died. The woman he married would then be a slave, and all of his children would be slaves as well. Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and, and captain of the guard. He served here, served him for about 20 years. As time went on, Joseph found favor with his master. And, and, and that happened for probably about 10 years. As time went on, Joseph, yes, he was treated well, and it seemed like everything was going fine. Potiphar set Joseph over his household and all that he had. But at the same time that conditions were looking up for Joseph, we find that something is very wrong it was brewing in the, in, in the wife of the master. She had cast her eyes upon him and wanted to commit adultery with him. She, she tried daily to seduce him and he refused and one day she 
was alone with him in the house and cornered him and, and insisted that he lie with her. And you know the story. He refused and ran out, and all the while she grabbed a hold of his coat. Then began to scream, maybe rape, rape. And we know the story. Potiphar had Joseph thrown in Pharaoh's prison. Now we see Pharaoh's in Pharaoh's prison. It was, it was nothing like the prisons that you see today. There's no sunlight. There was no workout areas, just a sunken room or pit void of light and void of warmth. And conditions ranged from crude to dehumanizing. It, was, it wasn't a, a, a pretty picture, so to say, and prisoners were put there to rot as they survived on the bread and the water. Of affliction. In fact, you can go to First Kings, First Kings chapter twenty-two and verse twenty-seven. It says it like this: the, "Thus saith the king, put this fellow in prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction, and with water of affliction, until I come in peace." And they were given just enough food to survive, just enough food and just enough water to survive. And but in the midst of surviving, it still made them to the point of suffering wanting more, but could not get any more. At this point, I, I can say it this way as I just begin, as I begin to read the scriptures, can, can, can you hear the thoughts of Joseph in this, in, in this damp, uh, uh, dark dungeon? Can you, can you hear what he's maybe thinking? I, I served my master with honesty and, and with integrity for over 10 years, and, and I'm more faithful than even his wife. I've stayed loyal to my God and my master. What is my reward? A dungeon. A dungeon. Although he had very limited freedom in his life, he still had the right, hear me, he still had the right to choose his response to all that happened to him. He still had that right to choose. Would he become offended and bitter towards his brothers and eventually towards God? Would he give up all the hope of the promised fulfillment, robbing himself of his last incentive to live? What would take place? I can only imagine what was going on in Joseph's mind at that point. I, I imagine that it might have never crossed Joseph's mind until it was all over with that this was God's process to prepare him to rule. How would he use his future authority over these brothers who betrayed him. Hang on, we're going somewhere today. Joseph was learning obedience by what he suffered. He was learning obedience by what he suffered. His, his brothers were skillfully welded instruments in the hand of God. Would Joseph hold fast to the promise, seeking God for its purpose? Perhaps when Joseph had his dream, he, he saw them as, as, as maybe confirmation of the favor of God in his life. But at this point, if you don't believe that he had learned, yet that authority is given to serve and not to set you apart. To Joseph, the bottom line was his brothers. They were the force that had thrown him into this dungeon. Maybe he entered or entertained thoughts of, of how things would, would be different once he was in power when God put him in the position of authority. He had seen in the dreams how, how different it, it, it all would be if his brothers had not aborted his future. How often do we hear 
the same thing today with maybe people around us, even our brothers and sisters at times. We fall into the same trap. Look at Adam and Eve and look at Cain and Abel. If it wasn't for my wife, I would be in ministry. She's hindered me and ruined me so much of, of what I've dreamed of. And that's not my wife tonight. I'm giving you an analogy because she doesn't do that. But some would say if it weren't for my parents, I, 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 I would have had a normal life. I've, I've been blessed for the past three years to work on the board with a, an organization called First Impressions of South Carolina. It's an amazing organization. And for three years, we've looked to buy certain houses. We actually have two houses now. And we house ladies that's been abused, and which is an amazing ministry. Ladies that's been abused, and we get a chance to bring them in, and we go through a lengthy process and bring them in. We give them a place to stay and make sure they're working and, and set them up second, third chances and stuff like that. And, and, and get them back on their feet, which is an amazing thing. But how many times have I sat there and listened to the same thing over and over again? Well, if it had not been for this, and if it had not been for that, my life would have been this. And then we as individuals, as the board there, have to sit up and say, no, you made the decision. It wasn't your mama. It wasn't your daddy. It wasn't your brother. It wasn't your sister. You decided to walk this road, and that's a hard pill to swallow whenever you don't have nothing and everything is completely taken away from you. Whenever you're sitting there and you're looking and, and, and tears are streaming down your face and all you can think about is the hurt of yesterday years and things that have happened in your life, but here you are at this point and you can look back and you try your best to blame and you try your best to accuse, well, I could be this if it wasn't for that. I could be that if it wasn't for this. And the whole time, whenever you put that mirror in their face and say, but you made the decision. What do you do with the decision? You see, the list can be endless of the accusers. It's easy to blame everyone else for the problems that you have. And imagine how much better off you would be if, if it had not been for all of those things that you went through. But can I tell you, those things were never meant to make you bitter, but they're there to make you better. Hear me tonight. I, I want to emphasize the following point. There is absolutely no man, no woman, no child, there is no devil that can ever get you out of the will of God. Hear me tonight. There is no individual that can get you out of the will of God. No one but God holds your destiny. Hallelujah. No one but God holds eternity in his hands. You see, it was... His brothers that thought they had ended Joseph, they said, out of their own mouths come, therefore let us now kill him and cast him into the pit. We shall see what now become of his dreams. Could it get any worse? Prison was a time of sifting for Joseph. but It was also a time of opportunity. See, there was two prisoners with Joseph and both had very vivid and disturbing dreams, and Joseph interpreted both of their dreams with amazing, uh, to the T, to the he, 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 he told them about what was going to take place. He asked the one 
about to be restored, to remember him while he regained Pharaoh's favor. Uh, the man turned, returned to Pharaoh's service and two years passed and not a word. Nothing. It was yet another letdown, so to say, for Joseph, another moment of hurt for Joseph, another opportunity to become offended. Time came when Pharaoh had, had a very alarming dream. None of the wise men of that day, none of the ma uh, magicians of that day could give him the explanation. It was then that the restored servant remembered Joseph. He shared how Joseph had interpreted his and his companion's dream while in prison. Joseph was brought before Pharaoh. At this time, he told them what the dream meant. A famine was coming. And wisely instructed him on how and when and what to do and the, all the things that should take place and where he needed to go with this. And later, when the famine came to all the known nations, Joseph's brothers had come to Egypt for aid. And if Joseph had held anything in his heart against his brothers, just this would have been the time to carry it out. He, he could have thrown them in the prison at that moment for life. He could have tortured them and he could have even killed them if he would have allowed that to grow in his heart you see he was second in command in Egypt to go one step further look at what Joseph said to his brothers when they were, were united in Genesis chapter 45 verse 5 through 8 but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here listen to what he says for God sent me before you to preserve life. Preserve life. What a word. What a word. Where I could have been and I should have been. The root of bitterness could have crept in my spirit. It could have messed me so much so that could have made me kill my brothers, but now I'm standing here. And now I'm looking at my brothers. And I can only explain it through this. It was God that kept me, and it was God that pushed me. It wasn't by you and your hands only, but God orchestrated this from the very beginning. Again, I'm going somewhere. Bear with me for just a few more moments. What a word was spoken. For these two years, the famine had been in the land. There are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve prosperity or, or, uh, for you in the earth and save your lives by the great deliverance. So now it's up to you. Or, or it was not you who sent me here, but God, he states. Who sent Joseph? Who sent Joseph? His, his brothers are God. Whenever we look at what and how he stated in Genesis 45, we see that, that it was God who, who sent him. And Joseph said plainly to his brothers, it, it was not you who sent me, as I've already stated. No mortal man or no devil can, 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 can push you around simply to try its best to take. Can I tell you that 
when you go through persecution, there is nothing that can separate you, the scripture says, from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. The truth is that, yes, you've probably been treated unjustly, but, the, but, but to become offended would only fulfill the enemy's purpose of getting you out of the will of God. We must remember that nothing can come against us without the Lord's knowledge of it before it ever happens. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that or what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Tonight, if you have not figured out, I'm talking about the spirit of offense. The spirit of offense will, will try its best to stop a revival. The spirit of offense will try its best to pull you back from anything and everything. To overcome the spirit of offense is to resist the enemy. To resist the enemy. The dream or the vision will, 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 will probably happen differently from how you, you think it will. But his word and his promises will never fail. For God with his promises are still yes and amen. Amen. We can only risk aborting them by our disobedience. Anyone who has trapped animals knows that, knows that a successful trapper must be either hidden or baited. Follow me today. Satan is very subtle and he's very cunning and he's very crafty. His, his most deceptive and deadly traps are both hidden and they're baited. One of the best baits is something every Christian has encountered. Every Holy Ghost-filled person has encountered. And it's a spirit of offense. Offense itself is like a bait. It's not deadly unless it's consumed. And then it takes everything from us. It, it totally strips us if we allow it. And it pushes us in a corner. And, it, and can I just say it this way? I have seen individuals in my lifetime, and I know you probably have as, as well if you've been in church any length of time, but you've seen individuals that, that come to church, and it's easy to shout, and it's easy to run, and it's easy to speak in tongues, but you know that there is something down inside of them because you notice it in their interactions with individuals. You notice it with the way that they do things. It's called a spirit of offense, and they try to hide it. Why? Because for so long, we've often heard the saying, just pray about it and move on. Amen. Just pray about it and move on. And then we have individuals, hear me today, we have individuals that I've seen in churches that get addicted to pills because they cannot deal with the situation of what they're going through. They're offended because of something that happened in yesterday years. But can I tell you, God's purpose and God's plan has always been to pull you up and to get you out of that dilemma. God has a purpose, my Lord, God has a purpose for you. He's always had a revival for you. He's always had a revelation for you. It's a moment where God literally pulls some things out of you. Whenever, whenever you, you remember that moment when you came to the altar and even to the point when you went down in Jesus' name, the scriptures record that old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. But can I tell you today that there are some that even along their journey, they have taken a hold of things because they got offended, they got aggravated, they got distracted. 
microphone and it literally stunted their growth. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. It literally stunted their growth and now we have churches that are stunted and they cannot have revival because there's individuals that are offended on the pew. God's, oh my, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We have been given a power. We have been given an authority to rise up above those things. Not just to sweep them under the carpet, but to deal with them. If we're offended, I get the fact that yes, you are called. Yes, we're chosen and yes, we're faithful, but there's moments that in the middle of your gift, the scripture says to bring those things to the altar and leave them there until you get that thing straight. What's taking place? You are cutting loose the offense. You are getting rid of the offense. Why is that? Because if you cut it loose and you sever that thing, then the enemy has nothing he can come against you with. Hallelujah. The day I Come to bring a word to you, and I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I've been in church all my life. Thank God for my heritage. Thank God for my mother and father that raised me in church. Most of you in here, you all know my, my, my heritage. You know my lineage, and I thank God for that. I don't want to dive off into some things today, if I may, and Pastor, they say you're not supposed to say this, but then again, I want to be very humble and state that if I say anything, you can just easily, you know, you have that authority in my life. And I want to say this today, that even going through the, through the of having the Holy Ghost all of my life, I've seen individuals and I've seen pastors and preachers and teachers and evangelists that become offended and it literally cuts what God has ordained. It literally cuts it loose. Why? Because nobody else can take that promise from you, but only you can take the promise. Hear me today. The enemy, he, he can't do anything with you. But the fact of the matter is, is you can do something with yourself. You're the only one. In fact, whenever you go and you're sitting down with a drug addict, and the first thing that you've got to get them to understand is that they have to realize that it was them that got them there. It wasn't nobody else. It was them. They have to own up to their responsibilities. They have to own up to their problems. And whenever they finally get it in their mind that it wasn't everybody else, you, we often wonder that, what about forgiveness? Forgiveness was never meant for the other person, but it was meant for us so that we could get our minds in submission and obedience to God so that God can bring us to places that we, he's only spoke to us about in dreams and in visions. He wants to give us revival, but yet he cannot take what we won't release. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. In the midst of our releasing, then God says, let me take it and let me prosper you and let me move upon you. You want your family saved and learn to release some things. Get rid of those things. I, 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 know, I, I know that we pray. I, I get that. I, I, I've got individuals that I know personally that have prayed, but I've seen those individuals. They can pray. They can pray eight, nine hours and walk out of the place of prayer and have the same old attitude that they walked in there with. So what happened? The disconnect 
neck somewhere. God was literally trying to pull them out all the while they're having their hand up on it saying, not today, God, not today, God, because of the fact that it brings comfort to them. God said, when you release it, then I can do something with it. But until you release it, I can't do anything with it. You want revival. You want things to happen in your Learn to release. Give it to God. Laying on an altar. Lay it on an altar. Offenses, they stunt our spiritual growth. We can have revival. But oh, what kind of revival could we have if we released the offense? Offenses doesn't have to be big. It really don't. Some people think that offenses have to be huge. Well, he burnt my house. He burnt my cattle. He burnt everything up. I smelt the ribeyes cooking five miles down the road. Burn everything up. And we look at that and say, that's offense. We get mad and we won't talk to that individual for years because we're offended. It's something we can't even go in the same. I've been there. Could not even walk in the same restaurant. I walk up in the restaurant and say, I ain't eating here. Come on, baby, we're leaving this restaurant. We got to go. She looked at me and then she says, oh, I see. All the while still preaching. Hear me today. All the while still claiming to walk in the anointing. And then I couldn't even get over. And it hit me. It hit me in prayer. And God said, I can never give you the revival that I want to give you until you release that. The next time I seen that individual, I walked straight up to him and gave him a hug and said, I love you. I love you. And I felt something just immediately begin to disperse in my spirit. Why? Because God said, I can take that now and I can use that now. The things that got me to where I am today, I, I, I take no credit for it at all. Under, uh, other than the fact that obedience, obedience. But in moving to South Carolina, I looked around and th thought, God, what in the world are you doing? Louisiana is all I've ever known. What, what in the world are you doing? And then to bring my family 12 hours away, what in the world do you have in mind? God gave me several dreams and several things that he put in. Let me tell you something. Whenever you begin to pray and you're asking God to lead you and your family, God will open up some things for you, and he will give you a dream. He'll give you a vision. He'll speak through pastor. Pastor will come to you, and, and, and there will be a, a definite God's will in your life, and he will appoint that right in their stamp of approval. This is God. But the fact is, is sometimes in the journey from point A to point B, because we can feel the presence of God, because we can come around the front, because we can shout and praise God, we feel like that's God's stamp of approval. It's never meant to be God's stamp of approval. That's just his mercy and his grace continually pushing us on to let us know that we can go further if we're released. We can go more. We can go to the depths if we want to. But releasing is the process. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about what God's wanting to do in your life. God wants to use you. God wants to lift you up. Can I just say it this way? I've said everything to bring you to this point. The Things that we faced in 2019, we need to leave them in 2019 and realize that God, you're bringing me to a whole new vision. It's a whole new content. It's a whole new.
perception. You are bringing me to another place in you. I will no longer stay offended. I will no longer stay in this, but I'm going to release. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Release, release. Look at your neighbor and say, release. I get the fact that I'm speaking to mostly people that's been in church 20, 30, 40 years. Some of you longer than that. Some of you five, six years. But it's inevitable that offenses will come. I've often heard it said like this. It's not what you do after the storm. It's what you do in the middle of the storm. Because in the middle of the storm, if you can dance in the middle of the storm, then you'll be dancing on the outskirts of the storm. But as you're going through the storm, it's easy to get sideswiped. It's easy to fall prey. It's easy. For some, it's the big thing. For some, it's the small things. Well, he didn't say nothing to me or she didn't say nothing to me. And then other times, it's the bigger things. But can I tell you that, that, that every individual in here, you all have mountains. And, and in the midst of those mountains, I can't say that I've ever walked in your footsteps. I can't say that I've ever walked in your shoes and would never, ever say. I had somebody sit in my office just a little while back and begin to talk, and I had to stop him. He said, because I know what you've been through. And I said, no, you don't know what I've been through because you've never wore my shoes. I didn't say that in a rude way. It's just the fact. Once you've worn my shoes and you've walked my road, then you can understand what I've been through. But you could never say that because those shoes were built for you and you only. And God's bringing you into places. And yes, you have to go through the storm and you've got to go through hell. But in the midst of the storm, you've got to continue to worship. You've got to continue to praise. What made David a man after God's own heart? Because he stayed submitted in worship. It was the moments of worship when everybody else said, why are you worshiping? Why are you praising? I've got to do this despite because if I react right now, if I do something different than what I've always done, then the outcome is going to be different. But I've got to worship despite the process because where I'm going, the vision that God has placed in my spirit, nobody else knows the vision that God's given you but you. of you have been through battles, you've been through hurt, you've been through things that might have tore some things out of you, literally seemingly pulled at your gut, so to say. But in the process of it, God's preparing you. God has ordained these moments for you. Don't, don't allow yourself to get too aggravated too quickly. Hear me. It's easy to get there fast. We're human, are we not? Especially around Christmas time. We're human. Oh, I love to give. But when that woman gets in front of me in the parking lot and she cuts me off, I get offended. Especially when I've been sitting there for a little bit. And then when I get finally into Walmart and I see the last thing that I want is on the shelf and it's there and it's just the last one all of a sudden somebody comes through and just grabs it and throws it in their buggy and keeps what are you doing that was mine now those things we can laugh and but some people get offended by that because then we come home and we're like let me just tell you what I promise you that'll never happen again but we've all been there 
We've all been there. And those are the things that we sit around the Christmas table and we, we laugh about and we talk about families all gathered around and we're joking and we're going on about. And we really get, you know, it's just those moments where we just about fall off the chair because we get to laughing so hard. Ladies and gentlemen, every person in here, you, you've been hurt before. I know this is probably not, I should be preaching that, and in, in kind of a way I am, I'm preaching that evangelistic style message, but the pastor's coming out of me as well, and I just, I feel an urgency, I'm not trying to pastor by any means, but feel an urgency in my spirit because the Bible speaks that in the last days, the one thing that will take place is offenses will come. Whoa. The offenses will come. Don't allow it to stop your prayer life. Don't, don't allow it to stop you from moving forward because you could stop right on the verge of something great happening in your family. Rejoice if you don't mind. You see, it's, I've often seen it where it, becomes a victim mentality. What is a victim mentality? It means that any don't matter what you tell them, they always think somebody's out to get them. You can literally walk up to them and give them $500 and they're looking at you saying, what do you want? Why are you doing this? It's a victim mentality. They've been hurt along the way. But the Pentecostals, we take $500 and then we walk away and we get the vehicle with our wives and we say, I wonder what they want. Oh, come on, somebody. Because of the fact that we don't wear our feelings on our sleeve at times. We learn to hide them because it's who we are. We're apostolic or Pentecostals. We just came through a storm and we was offended. And in the middle of that offense, you know, it was rough. And in the process of that, well, Sister so-and-so, we meet her and she's on in Walmart. She asked us to pray and we, oh, praise God, let's pray right now. We pray over her. I wonder if God's really working through that with all of the offense around us. Wow. Because whenever we begin to look at it, to be offended is actually a sin. God showed those things to me. You can read in the scriptures, to be offended, it's actually a sin. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. What, what's taking place? God's literally bringing us somewhere. God's literally purposed for us to be in that, in that vein of revival. Why is that? Because brother, you can reach people that I can't reach. Listen, come, you can reach people that I can't reach. Or that anybody else in here can reach. Brother Chase, you can reach people that nobody else in here can reach. What is he doing? See, this is what happens when we get offended. The enemy's not so much as worried about you as with your generation. Let that sink in for a second. Whenever it first began in Genesis, it spoke about generations, family. It spoke about birthing things. And then the next thing that it spoke about was Joseph. 
there was something that rose up in that man, in that child, if I can say it that way. There was something that rose up. And the enemy of evil positioned his eyes upon him. Let's see how you react in the middle of the storm. Let's see what takes place in the middle of the storm. Remember, the scriptures emphatically say, I know the plans that I have for you, say it the Lord. Not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to give you an expected end. God is positioning you to impact the generations. You may feel like that you're nothing, but let me explain. When there is a woman of God that begins to pray, when there is a man of God that begins to intercede, it literally shakes the foundations of hell and they literally grab a hold of generations and they speak to the generations. Can we stand? Today in closing, I don't know what, what you came in here with today, but I, I, did, I, I, I came in here with a word from the Lord to let you know. Let 2019 be what it is. Because you can't do nothing about the past. But you can do something about the future. What takes place in the middle of offense is sometimes it clouds our vision of where God wants to bring us. Ladies and gentlemen, all over the, our pastors all over the world right now using 2020s the year for vision it's a theme for vision 2020 vision but I literally want God to uncloud the vision and let me be able to see what he's really prepared for me what he's really got for my family because I promise you this, what's up ahead is a whole lot greater than what you left in your past. What's up ahead is a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better than where you've been at. But where you've been at has purposely positioned you so that you can handle what comes against you. I wonder if it's appropriate in closing tonight if we can reach over and grab our neighbor by the hand and begin to pray one for the other.